What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dogs Football Podcast here on this Thursday. Yes, we did not have a SEMO recap on Monday, and we will not have a Northwestern uh, preview tomorrow. That will all happen today in a combined episode. Uh, Noah was a little under the weather to start the uh, week, so we pushed it all back. And obviously, we will be road tripping to Chicago tomorrow, so we can't find a day uh, tomorrow, so we're doing it all today. I'm Nick Malone, joined by Noah Lurch. No, like I said, you've been kind of under the weather, but we're fighting it now on, on this to recap the crappy game that was again on Saturday. Not as crappy as week one, and then to preview the juggernaut we have uh, Saturday. What's going on? Yeah, it was really, I mean, a really crappy game the way it ended. Um, not be able to really come away with her a win in non-conference because now you're going up to a Big Ten school um, really trying to beat a, a giant, and it's probably not going to happen. Um, haven't seen a spread yet, but really disappointing loss. Um, can't lose to your rival like that at home and to an OBC school uh, to drop to 0-2. Um, it sucks how it ended, but it, it shouldn't got to that point. We'll dive into that, but yeah, I mean, me being sick, I guess being out in the weather that night and it got cooler, the weather's starting to break here in Southern Illinois. So I guess that's what the tipping point was me to set me off being sick. But here we are battling through it. Yeah, and, you know, I remember saying last week that we're always going to try Monday and Friday. But, you know, sometimes that's not always the case. So I, I don't want to say that that'll continue to be the case because anything can happen and anything. So just expect – the week, you know, after a game to have both, whether it's combined or at any point through the week. Uh, I know people are expecting it regardless, but just because we say the specific dates and sometimes that doesn't land on that day. But, uh, yeah, very disappointing because we talked beforehand on the preview that, you know, you don't want to go to 0-2. This is a game you should not lose at all to dig yourself this hole to start the year because we said if we lose this game, we're in deep crap, honestly. And we're kind of in that state right now with the team and, you know, the team struggles. It was only a 34 to 31 loss and you got to tip your cap to SEMO a little bit, you know, we'll get into them and the, the game that they had, they had a really nice offense. You know, we just defensively, you know, we kept matching points, matching possessions. We couldn't get any stops. We missed a lot of, you know, we, we left a lot of points on the board as well. And it was still in the thirties game. It was a 17 and a half point uh, spread with us we we predicted like we said about 10 to 15 and ended up being 17 before the game so that was just massive we had a feeling it was kind of you know sketchy for sure and yeah I mean I I had things to attend to that that night but I, I went there and we sat up there and for the second half I was able to make and obviously that's the one that we needed you know that came down to the wire back and forth that made it actually a really fun game so Let's dive into it, Noah. Like I said, 34 to 31 loss uh, for the war for the wheel. The Red Hawks take it back to Cape Girardeau, where we've had it the last two years. Like I said, they, they kind of played well, wouldn't you say? I mean, outside of our defense, and we'll get to the box score mainly and some of the plays that stuck out, but uh, kudos to them. They have a couple, they have some transfers that, that we talked about in the preview, and you know, one from Missouri State who actually caught the game-winning touchdown at the end of the game. He didn't do much outside of that, but they had a couple big receivers, a lot of length that we'll get into. We'll talk about some other things. Around the FCS, I mentioned the length because that's exactly what Jason Petrino said in the interview talking about it. We'll get into that. But, no, like I said, yeah, frustrating. And 
I think the defense, I think, is the biggest worry to this point. And we know we have struggles on offense. You, you expect to win if you score 31 points. You can't keep matching them 34 because as soon as we scored, big play right out of the gate for the Red Hawks, especially in the second half, that our defense wasn't able to, you know, to to stop. And we had a lot of revolving door through the game. And we recall P.J. Jules was supposed to, you know, start a free safety, and he did at times, even though Clayton, I'm pretty sure, started the game, I think you told me, while you were there. So what stuck out, Noah, in, the, in this first half, offensively or defensively to you? Yeah, just offensively, um, some we got some injury updates before the game. Uh, Isaiah Hartrip was out. He's still, and Nick Hill says he's still a couple weeks away from a hamstring injury. So another one of those things with SIU sports injuries. He went from week one, he's making the trip, and the preseason um, when he was talking to Mike, when Nick Hill was talking to Mike Reese that Isaiah was jumping up, touching the goalposts, looking fine. So now he's still two to three, maybe four weeks away, which is just bizarre. Uh, Sam Buck was out with a concussion that night. Then Bryce Miller was uh, aiming to return this week at Northwestern. Um, so offensively, Jacob Koffel ended up playing. He was banged up in week one. Um, to me, in the first half, uh, Roe Elliott is a clear number one running back that showed right away. I mean, he played pretty well um, in that first half. Um, we got into certain spots, still red zone efficiency. Nick, Nick Baker preached how they want to be better down there, still haven't been better. Um, execution, play calling, still not great. No, you're right. Exactly right on all that stuff. We recall, and we'll just like, you know, talk about the whole game in itself, maybe not like half by half. We'll get to like, you know, some of the scoring plays and stuff, but you're right. He missed Jay Jones. He was, he was rolling out left. Nick did and, could have set his feet, was really off balance to miss uh, Jay Jones in the back of the end zone. That could have mattered. I don't recall what we did after that. We might end up scoring because, you know, we, we know we got bailed out a lot on offense in this game. There were there were certain plays where and, – and you're right, though. Romir is a clear number one back. We remember Yelm when he had his 42-yard touchdown run in the second half to give us a three-point lead. Uh, we were yelling, this is, this is Rose ear, and that's what it seems to be. He was number one for a reason. And he's shown it so far for sure. We'll get into the stats by the end of the game. But there were plays where, you know, Nick wasn't very accurate. And even at certain points, I mentioned Justin Strong and Javon. What was the play with Justin? No, he kind of threw it off balance to him. And Justin's got such great hands on the sideline that he kind of bobbled it to himself. It looked like the, the defensive back could have easily, you know, caught it. It was, it was kind of bobbled that many times. And Justin came up with it in the red zone and caught it. And then there was one where Javon – he literally went out for a pass. It was the, you know, the highest ball you've ever seen thrown, and, he, and Javon somehow came out, came down with it. We thought it was either broken up or picked, and ended up Javon came up with it. The crowd went crazy, so we kind of bailed ourselves out in moments of that. But uh, Avante had another touchdown in this game that gave us ten to seven lead early in the game. But no, they kept coming back. Johnny King, receiver, he had their first two touchdowns of the game, both to take the lead seven to three, and then fourteen to ten. Their kicker in the second half, 50-yard field goal. I remember we were sitting there and we were like, okay, we got some nice stops at this possession, but he tied it with a 50-yard. It was insane. It barely got through, uh, but they were going crazy. And he had another one to start the fourth quarter, 45-yarder. Avante scored again. That was a play whenever Nick was close to the to the line of scrimmage, rolling out left again, and then found defensive back came to, uh, to cover Nick because he thought he was going to end up running, and then he just dropped it off to Avante for an easy touchdown. 
but after that, Noah, they just stormed right downfield again. We'll get to uh, Ryan Flournoy had an incredible game in this one. Justin had a run at the end of the game. We mentioned Romier's 42-yard run. That was a great breakaway that he had. We've He's had that back-to-back weeks now. I think maybe not on Saturday, but we know the Incarnate Ward one and then this one. And then, Noah, obviously it came down to the, uh, the final play of the game, which, you know, we were talking about, and I think this is what we need to talk about most is the end of the game. You know, yeah, it was going back and forth. Noah, the last possession that they had to come down and try to win the game, you know, we're riding high after the, after, after the Justin touchdown where they first play, you know, a big play. They got probably what, 30, I don't know off the top of my head. It was at least 35 yards. They got to midfield with ease. So it's like, okay, you know, they got less than two and a, two uh, minutes and 50 seconds to go down and score. So first play, Noah, that's not what we want to see out of our defensive backs. It was flag city in this fourth quarter, you know, good or bad, warranted or not, but your defense put yourself in those positions to get uh, those multiple chances and you keep drawing flags, but that's just how it went. Yeah, defense, uh, the coverage was poor last week down in San Antonio, and uh, you thought you'd come back and get better, but um, – down there, down there in San Antonio was a different type of receiver. You came back, you get it more length, more lengthy and athletic receivers. And, um, heck, some most of the time they were just QB would snap it and they're just throwing it out wide to Flournoy or King. And it's one on one, you got to make the tackle. A lot of times, our guys weren't making the tackle. Um, very poor coverage, poor tackling by the DBs. Um, which we're really disappointed by because we thought this DB group um, was going to be pretty good. And, and they all preseason long, they acted like they were and they haven't shown any of any of it so far. But yeah, I mean, obviously once they got down to the red zone, they got, they got within the five because of penalties. And uh, um, the first one we can get into it now. I didn't have a problem with the first one, but, the next two was the ones that were just awful. Yeah, the fans were giving it to the line judge over there. Um, yeah, I know, especially, you know, and we're going to react a certain way, especially, you know, near the end of the game when they're forcing it into the end zone to try to, you know, to win the game, that some of those were sketchy. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, that first one and then some of them in general, like you could you could warrant it. I mean, DJ Johnson didn't have the best game or the best second half. At least you mentioned earlier that they didn't really – when you were watching and you were there, they didn't really go at him in the first half. And then they started to in the second, they started to use those receivers more. They had unbelievable games. Yeah, but, and you know, to start off that drive, they had 11-yard play, 9-yard, so got 20 quick yards. Next thing you know, they were at midfield. Uh, and then, yeah, just countless penalties. And, like, the crowd was giving it to the line judge. It was kind of confusing at times. His, his microphone wasn't working. Steve Fallett was – messing up names, messing up stuff that we didn't, you know, almost like he wasn't even watching the game, just reading it off something. Uh, so it was kind of confusing in the crowd a lot, but, you know, a lot of booze. No, wasn't there a play where there was a potential fumble that Lewis Wilbur caused in the game? I just recall this because I was thinking about our sideline and we were thinking that Nick should have challenged the play, right? Yeah, it was uh... – If I mean, they reviewed everything it felt like in this game besides they didn't – Go, they didn't think – I mean, I guess upstairs didn't see anything, but Lewis came out of the pile with it, and um, they didn't – Nick Hill didn't – our sideline didn't even act like Lewis came out of the pile with the ball, didn't even think anything of it. So um, that led to points for them also. So 
Um, not sure what happened there. Yeah, I know. And a quick takeaway is that Lewis Wilbert was flying around. He was great on special teams and he was active, uh, you know, at that time. And you can just tell he's got that energy about him that he'll be bright for, for years to come. It could obviously be a, you know, a spotty guy on defense now and make those kind of plays. But yeah, I mean, you know, I'm definitely, and Nick alluded to it kind of after the game, how frustrating it was, um, you know, with some of the referees and things, but like, like we said, I mean, the defense after a long offensive drive before that to take the lead, especially with under three minutes, you know, almost a two minute drill for SEMO, they were getting easy stuff. I know you kind of, you know, you, we were up by four, so you kind of play a prevent defense, but I mean, you know, that happens all the time, but it was just, just because it's us and we've, we got blown out last week and, you know, it's been skeptical in our secondary this week that it, you know, it, it just was unacceptable whether you kind of allow that or not, but you know, they had a night, we didn't really get to the quarterback at all. We had some pressures and we'll get into maybe how many sacks we have, but I feel like we didn't get a whole lot of pressure on this. And we talked about incarnate word, we didn't get any. So it's kind of a, uh, you know, a, a problem moving forward. And we will get into it. Northwestern's got an incredible offensive line. So we're going to have to buck up even more in that game. So, Patras wasn't there, and they just were going easily downfield. And I mentioned DJ Johnson had a rough last three or so plays. Uh, I don't know who was on him at the last uh, first and goal in the eleven seconds. They kept getting first downs and goals. We kept saying keep fouling them so they can just so the clock will wind down so they can keep getting first and whatever it doesn't matter as long as the clock went down. But eleven seconds left, they got the touchdown after DJ couple pennies and we we recalled the crowd how crazy it was you know the the players were getting it everyone was stomping on the bleachers it was a pretty good environment there to get that final stop that we couldn't do so like i said no demorier vic two catches in the game got the one that mattered in the back of the end zone do you recall who was on him might have been like a zone or might have been a oh you know we were we were, we were sticking to it to the guys in man right so you recall who was that who was on him that in that play I don't know exactly who was supposed to be on him, but because there was nobody on him, I don't know. I mean, it was a broken play. They he got out of the pocket. I don't know if they went towards the quarterback, but he was wide open, wide open, and it was like a, obviously you only have to get one foot in. But he got he had enough room in the back, but just like of course that's where it happens in the back end, uh, and we you know just devastation. But we did have eleven seconds left. No, and Javon had a nice kick return that got us around midfield, to be honest, maybe even in their territory, a really nice, you know, opening kickoff. And then Nick throws a Hail Mary that was bobbled a little bit. And I think Avante was around it or something, but fell to the ground. And then SEMO players were already headed over towards the wheel. It was kind of in, the, in our end zone or their end zone where they scored in the corner and the players went over and rushed to it. I remember Avante was slamming his helmet. Just a lot of disappointment in this game. Uh, but, it, you know, at least we got put ourselves, even though, you know, you didn't have enough time to even get field goal range. You had to with the amount of time and throw it deep. Shout out to Nick. I'm pretty sure he was rolling around a little bit before he threw it. So at least he he got it there and there was an attempt. But that's how it went. Very disappointing game. Let's jump into this box score, Noah. Uh, Real quick, towards sure. the end of that game, terrible timeout management by Nick Hill once again, only having one timeout towards the end of the game. I mean, right, yeah. we, had to, we had to take two because – we had too many guys on the field. Miscommunication. Yeah, it's just, I mean, this team, I mean, the, there is no team, there's no leadership on this team right now, player wise. And uh, it's, it's, it's poor right now. 
Yeah, you're right. Miscommunication. That it wasn't there a play where, you know, Zay Jones or I keep saying Zay, Jay Jones, uh, you know, was supposed to be out on there. They, you know, the initial formation that he's out there and then they have to call a timeout because they don't, you know, don't want him out there. And then you even out of the timeout, there was confusion if he was in or out. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing we talked about how, you know, in defense, you definitely have had, you know, some miscommunication, not to the point of timeouts, but, you know, to where there's broken plays and stuff, but offense, it just cannot happen. Uh, we recall that play. That was, and I, I agree with you. Inopportune. You don't, you don't waste your timeouts, and it could have easily because, you know, you had the one at the end, or and it just could have helped you at the end of the game more, and you and you play the game out differently, perhaps. So that's definitely, it was definitely not ideal. So, and I agree with you there. So, into this box score, let's let's do us first. Nick was actually okay, way better game than previous and we'll get into some quotes even Nick said that it was a really good game you know that even Petrino said that on defensively there were improvements even though it didn't seem like it maybe from allowing not allowing 64 points I guess but maybe some improvements on that end not really but offensively no for Nick Baker 20 for 36 about 250 yards seven per and about two touchdowns Javon threw a pass in this game for five yards you know that was a, a nice bounce back from Nick but like we said I mean Simo's got a good offense. Their defense is fine, I, I suppose, but Nick needed to have a game like this against a defense like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an okay game, I guess. I mean, there's still passes. Accuracy is still, I don't know, not there. I don't know if he's – if it's still miscommunication with receivers. Like I said, he missed, missed Jay Jones wide open in the end zone, and I don't know. It's, it's a solid game. I mean, he's not turning the ball over. So that's all you can ask for. But, um, yeah, it was a solid game. Still down in the red zone is where we, he needs to be a lot better and hasn't hasn't done it yet. Yeah, and, and we, we talked about Nick earlier that, you know, he obviously needs to be great for us to be a great team, and that hasn't been the case so far. And, we're, you know, we just question, you know, his right as quarterback at times. We know Nick Hill loves him, but it's like, if he's not – and this was a better game, but you're right. Inaccuracy still, he's – he is running He is running a lot more, and he had good runs in this game and had him in the Incarnate Word game. We know, but that's stuff he has to do. So, honestly, it seems like rushing is the best thing that he's been able to do. We also attribute, you know, his success or non-success to the offensive line and its inability to, you know, be good or stay healthy and stuff. So, obviously, there's – it's not on just some one player sometimes. If you're inaccurate, it's definitely on you, but it's a it's a full team thing, as we know. So, like we said, he did run better. Hopefully to see more of that because it seems like with this line, he'll be running a lot more. Uh, but, yeah, good game. And then – but I didn't know – let's go to receiving first right here because a lot of these guys – Avante had another great game. We'll get to a stat and where he is all-time in receiving ranks here in a little bit. Seven for 86, 12 yards per catch – with two touchdowns, 28 was his longest. Javon, three for 45, uh, 33 was his longest, 15 average. Deontay, which talked about how there were, you know, Nick missed Deontay in a lot of throws last week, but he was getting involved, four for 45, 11 per, 17 was his longest. Tice, 31 was his longest. I think Tice only has five catches on the year. We talked about him earlier. Tice has to be, you know, it seems like we overhyped him a little bit just in terms of how he's used because we know Jacob Garrett's had him in the depth chart. Whether that that doesn't really mean anything, but we we see Jacob lining out lining out wide. It seems like we don't see as much of Tice, and we noticed that he had a bobble in this game for an easy catch for a first that he almost didn't catch. It was like third and short, and he barely caught it. And 
you know, he, he needs to be zoned in more and we know he's a nice player and we need to count on him, but uh, needs to do more than that. Obviously it's on the whole team's part to get him open. Jacob had two for 22, Justin one of nine and Romare one for four. But no, like I said, a lot of Nick was throwing it downfield and that's evident with 250 yards, but he was, you know, that's a lot of average. We mentioned he got bailed out by Javon and Justin on some plays, but a lot of, uh, and we'll get to a name too, Zach Gibson's nowhere to be found so far this season. I don't know if he even has a catch. Maybe he did the first game. But no, that, I mean, that's up to 15 for Javon in general. Those are, that's a lot of yardage per catch. So it's good to know that we're going downfield, even though if you see it, you know, you know, short dunk throws that I guess Nick's doing a little bit of maybe, but that's good to see that everybody's, you know, getting open downfield and we're able to stretch the field a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Avante's doing his thing. I mean, the Cox brothers are leading the way by far. Um, Javon's doing what he can to, to get involved in any way he can because um, we know he's we know what he can be when he's healthy. He says he, he still doesn't look right to me, um, at least running the ball. He's in great job catching the ball, running routes and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Zach Gibson – I mean, he's been out there running routes. I mean, we know down there in Incarnate Word, he draws, he drew, um, he had some targets down there. Not sure he had a catch though, but yeah, Jay Jones had an opportunity. He was wide open. Um, but other than that, besides the Cock brothers, I mean, Javon, I mean, Tice, he doesn't, I mean, he's personnel wise. Don't see Tice um, as often as Jacob Garrett. Um, still haven't seen Remington Lutz in this offense, which is shocking to me. He could be a red zone um, answer, maybe I don't know. But yeah, this receiving core without Isaiah right now, with with Avante and Dante running the show, it, it needs some help for sure. And speaking of that, we know that Bryce Miller actually they talked about him on the radio either pre or post game and said that he. He might return for Northwestern. Is, is that what they said? I remember we we talked about him, and he's coming back, and he's a guy that we would need. Yeah, that's uh, um, he's iron return this week, so that's a guy in the slot that um, hopefully can be a big big key because uh, um, those short, quick guys in those slot like that, like the Hunter Renfro's, the Kyle Phillips of the world, um, are hard to hard to stay with. So they can help move the chains and create big plays and make other people open. Yeah, I think even when Mike mentioned it, that, you know, that he's an option, but he's coming from, you know, a big school. So it's like, you know, this guy's good. We need him in this offense. So I think there's a little bit of hype surrounding just, you know, him. And granted, if he comes into Northwestern, who knows how, you know, productive he can be and how productive we'll be throwing the ball in general. But and if that's his first game, but it's good to know that we have some, some guys ready to help. And you're right, we do need more. Uh, and if Javon's better used as a receiver, or, you know, he's not – he threw once in this game. He's not going to throw a whole lot. But, you know, we saw a little bit of Wildcat in this game for sure from Javon. And uh, you're right, not a whole lot of success. People are in the crowd saying – or there's people that you talk to that say, yeah, he just doesn't seem the same. And that's unfortunate. We know Senior Bowl, you know, watch this preseason. He's not living up to it. But if he can line out and we can have just more options to throw to, hopefully Nick will have time to throw them. That's good because, yeah, Romier and Justin got it locked down in the backfield. So that's what it is. That's what it is. So – that's what it was receiving. Now, rushing, no, we mentioned Romere, 10 for 64 and a touchdown. We mentioned the breakaway, 42. Good, really good for Romere or Roe. 
He is RB1 right now, just an eight for 35 with a touchdown himself. As we said, Nick, seven of 22. I mean, usually when we look at rushing for Nick Baker, it's in the negatives because he's getting sacked a lot. He got sacked a lot in this game, too. Seven for 22, though, 12 is his longest. Yeah, Javon, two yards a carry, five for 10. Only four was his longest. Javon had, or Avante had uh run play as well. So definitely Romir's backfield. And, you know, it seems like no, with the offensive line that we know that we have, rushing doesn't seem to be the best option. If Javon can't even work his magic when he gets it and find holes, it just, it's not going to work itself. Romero's going to have to work his butt off to find holes, but it seems like we definitely, and we're a passing team anyway. It seems like we need to just have an empty backfield a lot and just throw the dang ball. What do you say? Yeah. I mean, uh, as of right now, to me, if it's not Roe getting the ball, there's not a lot going forward in the run game. I mean, um, Nick Baker has some nice quarterback keepers, good calls um, when they do go empty backfield. But, yeah, it's a, it's a more of a passing offense. It's been that way since Nick Baker took over. Um, we don't have that same offensive line like we're used to um, when DJ Javis and Javon Williams both had a 1,000. So uh, it's just what it is. It is what it is. It's Rose, like Nick Hill said in the postgame, Rose the number one back for a reason right now. I mean, it, and if you're a Saluki fan, I mean, I'm almost tired of hearing it. They want Javon to have the ball 20,000 times a game. It's been asked. It was asked in the post game to Nick Hill. Even Mike Reese asked about it. Mike started asking now on Monday's presser. I'm just tired of hearing it all about – Mike Reese about, asked about Javon's usage. I mean, if you watch the, if you watch the film – Javon's lining up a receiver, running back, quarterback, and sometimes in the Wildcat he's on punt return and sometimes he's on kick return. I mean, the guy's used all over the field at all times. He can't have the ball every play. Exactly. I understand with you there. And just because he's, you know, to some fans, whether they're, you know, uh, whatever the word I'm looking for is, uh, casual or not, you know, they're just going to know the best players and think that he does need to get the ball. And he, he's a great player. He's been a great player his whole career. But you're exactly right. He's you getting used in every single facet of the game that you can't do that because that's where he's important. I remember talking at the beginning of the, of the year. Yeah, it seemed like he'd be first on the depth chart. He's always going to be, you know, a main cog, but he never – he's always running it himself. It's always a wildcat. He, he'll line up next to Nick. And sometimes we'll see Nick go out wide and Javon's got the ball in his hands doing something. It's always a run, though. So it's like, you know, he's not going to take straight-up handoffs. Romero's playing better than he is. I mean, that's inevitable. If Javon, like, he's because he's so versatile, that's how we feel like we need to win, and that's not happening right now. But, you know, you're not going to end up winning just because you end up giving Javon that many handoffs. Yeah, he's got to be used in all different ways, and that's how it'll continue to be. I don't see Nick changing his ways in that regard. So our offense is what it is. You know, if and you mentioned some injuries uh, quickly, some offensive line were they dealing with did Sam Buck? We know he had a concussion. He did not play, right? Who was on the line starting? Yeah, um, for him, it did not play. It was Derek Harden Jr. at that left guard spot. Um, Jacob Cockhill, he was in there. Um, so it was then uh, Bo. He got banged up in the first half. He came out. Abdu went in for him at right tackle. Abdu came out in the second half, looked fine. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we thought that was a good position group for us. Had a lot of depth. Um, there's not much there right now. I mean, he only got 
three sacks ain't a big deal, but I mean, he's got to be, he needs more time. Some of these plays, he's getting out of the pocket and finding guys open, but um, they haven't tried switching anything up. Um, I don't know where Colin Smith is. I'd like to see him maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Then other injury wise, um, we know, I uh, mentioned it earlier last time. Um, got confirmed R.J. Arebo's out for the year. Um, hopeful Zade Hamden, the defense lineman from James Madison, um, can come back at some point. Uh, Zach Barola was out with a concussion um, that game against SEMO, so he was out. Um, then Jakari, Jakari Patterson got hurt as well during the game. He's off the depth chart, so assuming it's not good. Um, but other than that, then not injury-related, but it affects – I don't know if – I assume since he missed the second half, but it might not. It may affect the first half of this next game. Clayton Bush got ejected for targeting um, at the end of the first half for another stupid play by him, but um, see what happens there. Yeah, I know. And we, we were going to mention and talk about some things we saw on the sideline even uh, – you know, we saw R.J. Arebo taken back. He He's huge out there. Obviously, he doesn't have anything on. He's just, in, you know, ca- he's got his jersey on. He's just in casual attire. Um, he was just out on the field with the punts. He was moving around fine. We know it's just an upper body thing for him. And then you mentioned Zade. Yeah, we saw him on one crutch coming back. Hopefully, we, you know, we won't get R.J. this year. But, you're, yeah, hopefully we can get Zade back. Uh and you said Clayton, you're right. We did see him come in. He get, and that's when PJ definitely had to step into the free safety. We saw Easton Wolf a lot at the end of the game. Uh, Antonio was, you know, out, you know, in or out. We saw like George Douglas. Uh, you know, George Douglas was in or out at times and stuff. So um, what else did we notice, Noah, either on the sideline? You did in the first half and throughout the whole game outside of those couple of players I named. There is another one that's pretty important that's not playing right now. Yeah, a big special teams guy. Um a gunner on the special teams unit um, on the punt team. Uh, Dre Newman, he was not not dressed um, in his jersey on the sideline. So, um, like like always, we usually don't know anything about injuries. They keep it pretty quiet over there. So, um, pretty big bummer um, not having him out there. Yeah, I know. And that's what we say, like, Lewis Wilbert steps up and some other teams step up, you know, Jake's or uh... – can't believe his name. I can never think of the, our new uh, other kicker's name to kick it out of the back of the end zone. But he does a good job at that. So the opportunities are few and far between. Even we know Dre's great there. Dre might have to come into the game at some point. We know our DBs are pretty uh, durable, but who knows? If you want to use one of your best players in certain ways, uh, we did see. You know, the freshmen obviously have their jerseys on, and you know, there it was cool to see. Uh, there were a couple visits from some high school players, right, that we saw after the fact. Not sure if we saw him in real time. We were too focused on the game to check over there. We're not like right because I remember SEMO, we saw like everything. We were like right behind it. And then home right. games, we kind of sit, we kind of sit up, you know, to the top. Not really see a whole lot. There were a couple uh, players on visits there, weren't there? Yeah, there was a couple players. I think uh, Pingneyville football, the whole team was invited. Um, a local team, I think each home game is invited. Um, I've seen a couple recruits. Um, not sure exactly their names. I think I believe I retweeted one. Um, he posted the day after that he visited. So um, hopefully, I mean, not a great performance, but 
Um, hopefully there's some, I retweeted another one today that he got invited to an upcoming game. So hopefully, um, we can get back on track for these recruits and hopefully they want to make a home here. You're right. Cause we talk, we'll talk about it again, you know, later on, maybe at the very end of it, that's, you know, Oh, and three or not going into this game. And you're right. Some players that might go to some of these other home games, North Dakota home game right out of the shoot. So if we're Oh, and three, you know, and them, and then at Illinois state, we talked about how we want to go to, at the start of October that, you know, those are games that are reasonably, you know, the games, you you know, you could and should win. You know, we know, we know both those teams are good, but that's a little bit part of the lighter schedule. So we want to bounce back there. So quickly, staying on offense just for a second about Avante. We mentioned how where he ranks all time before we get into the defensive box score and quickly into CMOs and then we'll move on. Avante is now fourth or stands in fourth for uh, receptions, 175. He's about 19 away from Landon. We know Cornell Craig, only three ahead of him, and Mike Cole with 221. We know Avante's been so hurt the last couple of years. He's played to start this year, hurt last year. He could have already been really up close to the record, and he's only been here since 2019. Yeah, so that's insane that the production that he's laid out laid out here all time. Uh, and only 34 games, 175 catches, and about five per game in the Noah Yardage. In a career, we know Cornell Craig <clears throat> back in the mid to late 90s was great with 3,500 yards. That'll never be touched ever again. He had 85 yards a game. Incredible. Landon drive behind him. We know he passed uh, Mike Cole last year. And Avante sits fourth in this one as well. 2,394 yards uh, in 34 games, 70 per game. That's second behind Cornell Craig's 85, Noah. Like we said, and he's 34 in consecutive games played with a catch. So hopefully – That'll continue to happen. Obviously, he's so good and is able to get open, even hurt or not. No, we'll talk about him as the year progresses and, you know, making this his final year if it is. You know, he's in a short amount of time. He's, I mean, Landon did his in five years. This is Avante's, like, third true season, and he's doing this kind of thing. That's how dynamic he is. It's really incredible seeing him on these lists. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Big-time player um, climbing these lists. Um, expect him to catch Landon here soon. Um, he's going to get a lot of targets. Um, then we got another young guy in Isaiah Hartrip that's going to be on these lists at some point. For sure. So let's quickly dive into how our defense went. Uh, I mean, someone who led the way in tackling are tied. PJ and David led us with eight totals or seven uh, solo. But, Noah, David Miller had a nice game. A sack in this game, you said how he was, you know, off the edge in a corner blitz, had a sack in this game near the start of it, and he had two tackles for loss. Great game for David. Mentioned P.J. there. Antonio had seven. Uh, You know, D.J. was active, as we said, had a tackle for loss himself, had six total. Chris Harris was up there again now with four. Cam Bowdry had our other sack of the game, so we got to him twice. Did you say earlier that Nick got sacked three times? Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. So only five total in the game. Thought it was maybe more on their end, but I do remember these two. Definitely David's. You know, you were there to witness it. That was a nice play by David. He had a great game. Yeah, good corner blitz, good call by Jason Pertino. Um, you see our you see our corners and our safeties are on top of the list because that's um that's how much they were targeted. They were getting the ball to the outside and um uh, making our DBs work, and that's why you see them at the top of the list. For sure. Great bounce back for David after the tough matchup in the first game. No, only other stuff that stands out in this game, you know, some other tackles for loss, like Hundemer and Dante Cleveland had a half uh, tackle for loss in this one. Quentin Lee, we know Arkansas State, another one of those transfers, 
it's good to see him involved. He had one tackle for loss and two tackles itself. Branson, Noah, we know he's starting at middle linebacker, and he's struggled at times. It's, it's tough watching him try to tackle guys now. He seems like he's not as, you know, and maybe he thinks he's got a lot on his plate, but we know he was one of the main guys on this defense, and he struggled a little bit. Only had one in this game, barely had anything in the last game. It's weird seeing Branson struggle, though. I'm surprised they haven't moved him off the depth chart, but I guess they know they can still count on him. He's a leader on this team, but a struggle so far for Branson. Yeah, I mentioned it when we were surprised he got that middle linebacker spot. I mean, that's just not the type of linebacker he is. He's more of a coverage guy, and I think somebody should be – I mean, I think at the end of the game it wasn't him in there. It was uh, – um, can't think who it was. I think it was George Douglas. George. And it was yeah. George and Dune in there at the same time. And uh, it wasn't Branton. And he's really struggling at that spot. That's just a tough spot because if you look like who we've had in it the last couple of years, you had Bryson Strong and you had Bryson Otree. I mean, he's nothing like those two guys in that style of play. It needs to be a guy that wants to get downhill. Um, I thought at the end of the day, it could be Lewis Wilbur at some point because he's just – a guy that wants to get downhill and hit somebody, I thought it could be a tackling machine like that. But um, obviously, Branson probably wearing the green dot. That's why he's got the he's, – he's the, probably the smartest on that defense. So, uh, yeah, struggling out of the gate right now. Yeah, I think, you know, he – we talked about how – who are the leaders on this team. I think Branson is definitely – or he said that he's not really a vocal leader. He's improving on it, but he's – He's trying his best, and, yeah, I mean, that's – and it's tough sledding for him so far. You mentioned Dune Smith. Yeah, he was there at the end of the game, only had a one or I think just one tackle in the game, but he was, you know, making an impact, I guess, in other ways, just seeing him that they trust him at the end of the game, and you're right. You know, we saw it on the new on the updated depth chart again. He's now starting outside linebacker because you mentioned earlier Jakari's hurt, which stinks because we know his potential to start the year, and it's just ironic, of course, every time – we talk about somebody that's, you know, they get hurt or something. And same, same thing with Clayton. We remember last year, it seemed like everybody that was in an interview, a player was, they broke out the next game or did something in general. Clayton this week getting hurt or getting uh, out with targeting. You're right. We might not see him in the first half on Saturday, but we know PJ's got a lockdown. Uh, so that's what stuck out on our end. Noah Simo, like I said, great offensive game for them. Uh, or real fast, didn't you have something you wanted to say on special teams? Yeah, special teams, uh, Jake Baumgard was good again. Thomas Burks with touchbacks. Um, Nathan Torney, um, not a great performance. Four punts for 138 yards. That's an average of 34 and a half. I mean, one inside the 20. I mean, I know he's a freshman. Not sure how old he is. He's from an Australian club um, academy down there. But as of right now, he's not getting the job done. I know um, – we have somebody behind him, and I don't know if Chase Reeves would get the job done anyhow, but right now he's just not getting the job done. We're used to having Jack back there that can bombs away and we can pin him deep, but right now he's struggling. For sure, and we meant, you know, their punter only had – I'm pretty sure their punter struggled as well, according to this box score. I don't recall fully, but you're right. You got to flip the field, and he was booting it, and we were getting blown out in a kind of word that – if he can't boot it in this game, you know, that's, you know, especially in, the, in his home stadium, he, he was booting them in practice. We said, you know, RJ was getting the balls for him. He was booting them there. It's just strange how obviously when game time happens, it definitely just changes and everything. But so that is definitely a concern. Hopefully he improves and Northwestern's going to bring the pressure because I'm sure we'll be punting a lot. So 
he's got to be ready for that game. Noah Simo now, like we said, uh, uh, DeLaurent, 33 of 44, 332, eight per and four touchdowns. Like he, he was outside of two sacks. He was relatively clean, you know, big time pro stock quarterback. We mentioned how pregame that, uh, Tuke said that, you know, this is unlike a quarterback that he's had, definitely, you know, far and away from last year. Where did he transfer from again? Uh, Central Methodist. So, you know, he, he is that kind of pro style, and he was airing it out and having a great game. He had a really – a lot of good receivers as well. Geno has, you know, 19 for 65. He rushed it a lot and had about 3.5 per, and 11 was his longest. We know he was the main thing coming into this. Are we going to have a better run defense? And he did that. Uh, DeLorean had the seven for negative seven with those sacks, but no, let's get into the receivers. Studs, Juco transfers, uh, Ryan Flournoy, 10 for 145, about 15 per and a touchdown. 42 was his longest. Pretty sure that was the opening one of their final drive. And then King, Noah, uh, Johnny King, 14 for 125, nine per and two tutties. Those guys are problems. And we mentioned how this offense was impressive. Granted, our defense hasn't been great, but no, they might compete in OVC. They were picked second. We know UT Martin's a really good team as well. We'll be keeping up with SEMO because they got a high, you know, a nice offense. We know Iowa State, they played okay, you know, covered the spread and stuff. But uh no, this is a nice offense. Those two receivers are studs. Yeah, they got two good receivers. Um and they got a couple more that didn't get a lot get the ball a lot. Uh Vic got it at the end of the game. Then they had a a couple more. Um yeah that offense is pretty scary. And Gino didn't even get going. So, um, the OVC, UT Martin, um, it should come down. Murray. To Murray, yeah, Murray's pretty scared watching an offense like this, I'm sure. So, uh, you're right, Vic. He was a Missouri State transfer. Yeah, had two catches and the one for the game winner. So, like, like I said, really nice offense. So, before we end this here, let's let's talk about some things Nick Hill said after the game. I mean, he owned a lot of obviously, you know, their performance and uh, you know, moving forward and what they are. He said, quote, we're going to own what we are. We're 0-2. We got beat on the road last week and didn't play well. And then we came home with an opportunity to respond. A robbery game and we got beat at home. There's no pointing fingers. We have to rally together and stay together, which we will. It starts with me at the top. Um which, you know, as we know, yeah, we mentioned how, you know, inopportune, you know, bad timeouts called or certain things, you know, the play calling can be bad at times. Nick's always going to own a loss. This point of the year, it's definitely, you know, owning worthy, a team you shouldn't lose to at home. Granted, it was only by three points. Uh, you got to come out with a win there. Hold them. I know he's he's the head coach and defense isn't his thing, but he, he owns everything and he's got to get the defense in order to get a dang stop at the end of the game. Uh and score better in the red zone. So a lot of it does fall on him. Noah, the first game is unacceptable. We remember the the things that happened in that game to maybe make it what it was. But Noah, this game, he definitely should own this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at a lot of the, I've I've complained about his play calling and his personal decisions a lot of the time. But um, you got to be able to put, you got to be able to put points when you, once you get inside the red zone, um, you have to. Um, then our defense, yeah. We got to be able to figure out to get stops. And right now, um, poor pass coverage, poor tackling is just killing us and um, putting us in tough spots. And here we're in one of the toughest spots right now. I went to going to play a Big Ten school. Yeah. The lead chain changed hands in this game 10 times. The only out did us in total yardage by five, 390 to 385. 
22 to 21 edge in first down. So it was about as even as a game as you can get. You just needed that one stop beyond that final possession. Avante talked after the game. He said, I thought, I thought the game was over. I was jumping up and down. I thought the game, uh, all we had to do was take, go take a knee. But once I saw the yellow flag, I knew we had four more downs to go. So that's unfortunate. Like I said, I remember him slamming the helmet at the end on the Hail Mary. And then Nick said, we have to win the football game. Football game before we let referees decide the outcome of the game. I didn't bring up the referees one time in the locker room. And then he said, you don't have the time. You don't have time in life to start feeling sorry for yourself. We play Northwestern next week. Very good team. We have to have the same mentality when we play them as we're 2-0. and So, overall, yeah, bad game, Noah. I'd, I'd give your quick final thoughts. Just a game you shouldn't lose. We dug ourselves a hole, and you're right. Going and playing a Big Ten school doesn't look good. They're coming off a loss we'll get to, and, you know, they might be ticked off, and they are at home. An 11 o'clock game won't be nice for us. Noah, final thoughts on the SEMO game. Yeah, just a game you should not lose. I mean, obviously um... – it's a game really you had to win after the position you put yourself after week one because um, it's tough. I mean, now we're probably – if you lose this week, you, you almost have to only lose one conference game to sneak in the playoffs, which we know what, how the toughest Missouri Valley Conference is. And, yeah, it's just disappointing. Um, I know a lot of Swiggy fans are bl- blaming the rest for what happened, but um, – we we let that get in the referee's hands. We should have put that game away way before what happened. So um, you just got to hit the road now and go throw a punch on a giant and see if he falls. So um, it it can be done. We've been a we've beat a Big Ten school before. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, that Indiana game way back in the day was incredible, and you know we'll get to more Northwestern. We played them about 14 years ago. So we'll dive into just the history between the two schools, Noah. So yeah, moving on, I agree with everything you said. Uh, let's go around the FCS now. Uh, we know there are, you know, a couple of good games. And like we said, UT Martin, Missouri State started on that Thursday, 35-30 win by Missouri State. Good game. Let's dive into some other ones, uh, including obviously Valley schools, but any other notable ones around? Yeah, Valley schools uh, wise, like you mentioned, we talked about it last time. Missouri State took down UT Martin. Um, Minnesota um, killed Western Illinois 62 to 10. Youngstown handled business against Dayton like we did. Uh, let them score, though, so that streak's still alive. 49 16 Penguins over the Flyers. Um, All Bison in the Fargo Dome 43 3 over North Carolina AT. Um, Montana defeated South Dakota 24-7, so 0-2 South Dakota, just like us. Uh, Indiana State, 56-0 loss at Purdue, so did not get on the board against the Big Ten school, so hopefully we can um, Saturday. Um, The lone early conference battle, um, a good one, North Dakota defeats UNI 29-27. Came down to the wire. Uh, South Dakota State uh, hold on against UC Davis, 24-22. Then Illinois State takes down Valpo, 28-21. So um, interesting to see there. Uh, Some Valley schools squeak by with some wins. So uh, there's four Valley schools in the the bottom of the bunker like us with 0-2. It's us, Western Illinois, Northern Iowa, and South Dakota. 
Yeah, it's not good for, you know, all of us, you know, middle or, you know, we like to think, obviously, we were picked fourth in the Valley to start the year. So to that point, I mean, Youngstown, I mean, they're they're going to be a problem. We know how we're, you know, we got good teams and everything. We know, yeah, you say Western got killed by Minnesota. I mean, that's going to happen. Uh, but they're going to be tough. And Youngstown, I mean, Jaleel, 13 for 129, he's going to run all over us. It seems like to that point, depending upon where we're at in, in that point of the season, that'll be at the end of the season. So who knows? But yeah, I mean, South Dakota, you know, Doug Dillon Gravis, we've said, um, and then Northern Iowa, you know, they're now unranked as well with us. We were going to get to that. Uh, they were, you know, they were going to maybe take a step back. And that's why we said that, you know, we're playing them at some point this year. That's a game we need to win. But uh, yeah, not good for some of us teams. That South Dakota State game, you're right. Two point victory. That was because UC Davis now 0 2. South Dakota State avoided avoided one there. I was going to look at their box score 25 for 112 for Isaiah Davis, Stud, and Gronowski had just an average game in that one. So interesting. They're showing, obviously, they should have beat Iowa, and then, but you show a game like this at home, showing a little bit of uh, vulnerability. Uh, so that's so that's that with them. And then you're right, some of these other games still got Carnet Ward beat Nevada. 55 points, Noah. I mean, they're – I mean, I don't know what – we'll get to it, what they're ranked now. You beat an FBS school and a good and a good team, Lindsey Scott, 406 passing, four tutties, did have the pick. Who cares? He was all over the place, Noah. Let's talk about their one receiver, though. Oh, my God. Seven catches for 262 yards, averaged about 37 a catch, 77 longest with two touchdowns. Noah, that is incredible. I hope they keep climbing. If we were lost to them barely – it would look great on our resume, but no, they're going to end up like I don't know where they're at. They're going to be at the top for a long time if they can sustain this. It's incredible. Yeah, as long as they can sustain it and we can start winning, it makes it look better, I guess. But at this point, it doesn't matter for us. But um, incredible victory. Um, other than that, around the FCS, um, no other games really stood out to me. Um, Weber State went on the road at Utah State and got a 35-7 to win, so that's an FCS over FBS win. Um, that was kind of shocking to me. Uh, Murray State got blown out by Jacksonville State, 34-3. to um, Then other than that, uh, Lindenwood picked up a 21-20 win over Houston Baptist, so uh, Lindenwood gets a win. Uh, then I think the only other one that stood out to me that I mentioned in the pre-show uh, was the Jackson State-Tennessee State game. That was a 16-3 to win for Jackson State. Yeah, and Jackson State is now 11th in the country. Here are some other ones. The top remains the same, North Dakota State, Montana, South Dakota State, Montana State, Villanova won this week, 5th, Missouri State, 6th. <clears throat> UIW, after all they've done, killed the nine team at the time and beat Nevada. They're only eight sitting right now. But I guess, you know, it it warrants. I mean, South Dakota State, you could argue, you know, barely beating UC Davis could fall a little bit. I and mean, I guess, like I said, they're not going to be a whole lot of movement, I suppose. But the UIW deserve to be in the top three, it seems like. The way they've been playing some other schools here. Uh, Weber State, we know they beat an FBS opponent as well. And there's a lot of – FCS knocked up a lot of FBS this past week, but – uh, seeing Weber at 13, UT Martin 18 after losing to the, the 16, but it was barely, as we said, Youngstown 23rd. When was the last time Youngstown State was ranked? Like you said, they're they're going to be a problem, and they're, they might stay ranked depending on what their schedule. I don't know what their conference schedule looks like, but they're a nice team. So 
So there's that. Yeah, that's the rankings. We are not on them, rightfully so. We could have been off it after the first week. So officially off it, that makes sense. And we're going to have to build our way back into it. It's going to be tough starting this week. But after that, like I said, some conference games, we you know need to win out of the gate if we do start 0-3. So uh, now, no, let's let's jump into – let's get this going a little bit. Uh, but you talk, talk about our commits, what they did this past week, and what they got going on uh, tomorrow. Yeah, uh, some commits coming off some solid victories um, this past week, uh, starting with – uh, the Baker Gators and um, Caleb Wagner. Um, last the prior week before he had three touchdowns against Destin. Um, this week, um, they get a twenty-one twenty win against Bozeman. Um, so they uh won two in a row after dropping their opener. So, um, two and one for the Baker Gators and and Caleb Wagner. So, um on the right track there then uh logan minton and lafayette lancers um they pick up a also pick up their second win in a row after dropping the first one a 62 24 win at riverview gardens um logan had three catches for 42 yards and a touchdown so he finds the end zone um this week uh blaine halley and um falls to two and one um, they dropped to Athens, so uh, first loss of the year for Blaine and the Olympia Spartans. So looking to bounce back this week. Um, looking at Crown Point Bulldogs and Aiden Durig, they moved to four and zero on the year with a thirty-five to ten win. Um, they're at home tomorrow night against a one and three Portage team. So uh, Crown Point looking to stay undefeated there. Uh, out in Derby, Kansas. Miles Walsh, uh, they pick up their first victory of the year, so um, they get a another victory. So they're one and one on the year. So they start a little later out there in Kansas. Then there are guys down in Prattville, uh, Alabama, and Carmelo Smith and Tyce Cotry fall to one and two on the year. So they've lost two in a row after winning their first game. Um, they're at home against um, an undefeated team this week. So uh, tough, tough one for them this week. So hopefully they can bounce back. Yeah, I'm glad that Logan finally did get in the uh, end zone. And you're right, facing some tough teams. Some are, you know, undefeated. It's crazy how the high school, they're like four weeks in already. It's kind of crazy. We know it's still going on around here. Our hometown team got killed, but we know they're good every year. I just saw, I'm pretty sure, whether, who knows what the, career path of his name is no they have a defensive lineman that's creeping up and tackles for loss at marion history i just saw him it's like oh, it'd be nice to get a kid like that for uh uh you know to stay in the backyard as well i can't think of his name on top of my head maurice marvin like maurice marvin yeah yeah he passed uh aaron a day away and Derek borm this past week so uh he's on my timers yeah he's on my list so um hopefully we can keep him home for sure, that'd be nice. I'm sure they're already been in his ear this whole time. Not sure if he's if we follow him yet. Oh yeah, or you know all that stuff. I'm sure he's tweeted before. I'm pretty sure he has. So, so there's that. Good job on that once again. We'll keep up with them at the start of next week. Now Noah quickly NFL Salukis. We know there's only two that made uh, official rosters. There's only one that had a box score this week. That was Jeremy. He, I think, it was like either third or fourth on the Panthers and tackles. Had seven total, seven total, five of his own. 
a little bit active. They lost or they uh, lost to the Browns in week one. And then obviously the Seahawks lose or beating the Broncos on Monday night. Ryan didn't have any stats for that game, oddly. Not sure. I'm sure he was on special teams, but even some like deeper stats could have had him on there. I don't know what his status is. And then uh, some games this week. Uh, Seattle or uh, Panthers are at the Giants, seeing Jeremy in that one. And then Seattle is in San Francisco if Ryan can get in that game. So I had to point that out. The Lions, Steelers, and Eagles visited this week. We know the team always posts that. It's good to see for them to get eyes on certain guys, even though hopefully they're practicing better than they're playing. So catch some teams' eyes there. So now, Noah, out of all that, let's dive into the Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, You know, obviously a huge, you know, matchup for us. Big matchup overall. Big 10. It's always going to be that way. First matchup since 2008, Noah, where they beat us 33-7. to we're one and seven against all or all time against Big Ten teams. The win came in 06. Win they kill beat uh, Indiana. We beat them by a touchdown. So some history in the Big Ten, but not a whole lot of good one. Uh, they outscored us 27 unanswered in that game in 08 when they killed us last. So it's good to be back in Chicago. No, we mentioned we're making the trip. Let's dive into the Wildcats. Yeah, the Wildcats are a uh, physical. This is more Missouri Valley style play. Um, they're one and one on the year. Um, really surprising loss last week to Duke at home. Um, so interesting to see what happens here. Um, they're led. They're led by a really good running back. I think uh, Coach Petrino compared him to a healthy Christian McCaffrey. He does it all. Um, he has thirty nine attempts uh, for one hundred and ninety one yards this year and two touchdowns on the ground but receiving he has nine, 19 catches for 268 yards and a touchdown so he does it all for them uh, Ryan Helensky is a really good quarterback uh, he's thrown for 800 yards already this year four touchdowns only one pick um, so really physical offensive line they're gonna I mean to be honest uh, our our offense and defense, our defensive lines really has a. I mean, they did a decent job controlling the line of scrimmage for run defense against Semo, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of see it hard to hard to see against a. I mean, they got a top probably a top ten, at least a first round pick tackle at left tackle. So, and they're all gonna be huge. So, winning the line of scrimmage is unlikely this week. Um. So we're going to see what happens defensively. Uh, Bryce Gallagher, Jeremiah Lewis, Xander Mueller, some really good players on that defense. We know they've had some really good players over the years um, and over the offseason, their best corner transferred to Notre Dame. So um, really, really good football team. We'll see what happens here. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Halinski. He's averaging 375 per game so far in his two games. That's leading the Big Ten. Uh, they're third in the Big Ten and 15th in the nation at uh, or 520 yards per game. So they definitely have a high-powered offense, as you said. Thing is, though, I, I know they're playing, you know, better teams. You know, they've uh, – in the first two weeks compared to what we'll have against them. You mentioned losing the Duke. But they, uh, they gave up 461 yards – to Duke and then Nebraska gave up 465. So their defense and their 13th in total defense in the Big Ten, who's only got 14 teams. So 
Uh, defense is a little sketchy, but obviously they're good enough to be just fine against us. You're right. The line of scrimmage will be huge. You're right. That's what Petrino said on how, you know, in terms of the receivers are a lot quicker. Like he said, incarnate words are kind of similar to that, you know, outside of SEMO where they did have length. And you're right. He said offensive line, huge physical, as you said. I mean, if we can't, you know, we've got probably five, not even four or five total sacks on the year. So far, we know the light pressure that we have. It's going to be impossible to get to the quarterback. If he's able to stand there and find his guys and throw like he can, he's a stud, then we're going to get blown out, assuredly. But any type, you know, corner blitzes with David, you know, these other guys, Mikel, Lewis, anybody to kind of just try to wreak havoc. You know, if you want to just try to blitz a lot, you know, engage eight kind of stuff and kind of just throw it all at them, even though, you know, they're, I'm sure they'll prepare for it. We don't do that a whole often, but we can get some guys to help that defensive line. It'd be nice. And that's where we said like Branson's not really downhill. It'd be nice that he'll be in coverage. Perhaps he's got to be better at tackling, but it's a guy like that that needs to be, you know, kind of flying through a gaps and, you know, find the holes to the thing. So that's a wait and see, but you're right. High powered offense. It mentioned uh, it's funny because on the ESPN key matchup it says Ryan Helensky versus PJ Jules because uh, it says that he leads us with two pass breakups, has him as a corner. So it's like PJ, especially if Clayton doesn't play, we know PJ is going to be everywhere. So uh, it's just it's it's going to be tough. I mean that's bottom line clearly. Uh, but no, I will say before I give it to you and you can write us home, we'll get some other quotes and predictions and some stuff. But I will say, and there's a stat on here, against six of the last seven games against FBS programs, we have led at halftime, which we were literally talking about that earlier in the day that, you know, we managed to have close games. It's just the second halves aren't ideal for us. We remember last year, Kansas State had a lead, had the pick six at the end of the first half, was going great, and we could barely score in the second half. Uh, it was so exciting in that game with the atmosphere. UMass, the same thing, and then Ole Miss we went to which was an incredible atmosphere itself as well. Leading, though, remember in, in the, you know, down in the, what's it called? They're enchanting SIU is an incredible game. And then they had to pick six at the start of the second half and then blew us out. Memphis, Fort Atlantic in 16 and, Miami, and Indiana in 15. We only trailed Arkansas State in 18, which we also went to that game. So quickly, know your thoughts on that, because I think anything can happen, but we're not having the best momentum coming into this one. Yeah, obviously, we give it our best – punch in the first half uh then obviously um coaching adjustments or just overall depth and uh talent takes over and you see what happens in the second half um obviously we had a chance at arkansas state to win that one um yeah just got away from us um at Ole miss um could have obviously got the job done against umass um, but yeah, I mean, we've had opportunities last year. Um, we were in that game, but ended up couldn't get the job done, but we got another shot at it. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Cause we said, you know, if you're losing to these teams, you want to have adjustments in the second half, but if you're leading, you want to have, it's almost like you just get complacent, you know, and you, you know, just say, Oh, you know, whatever happens, happens kind of thing. And I'm sure they try to make adjustments. If this doesn't work out, the adjustments do not work out. So and that's a shame because imagine those kind of wins, what they could have done even more to this program over the course of these last couple of years. You know, over time, we know the momentum we had last year and how good we were last year. If we would have beat Kansas State, who was a fringe top 25 team, it would have been great. So hoping for the same this year, just with the better second half. Uh, there, or We'll get here some quick stuff from Coach Hill. 
I'm playing Northwestern. He said, we got a really good opponent, especially a challenge of going and playing a Big Ten, one that I have a ton of respect for, one that's disciplined and physical, and we definitely have our work cut out for us. Uh, and then bouncing back from the 0-2 start, when you get hit and you lose a couple football games, you've got to have a great perspective on that. We have a lot of season left to get better, and great teams do that. They get, they get better throughout the year. They get better from game to game. There's going to be highs and lows and different sets of adversity that comes out of every game. We just have to stay the course and believe in ourselves and go out there and play good football. I know you mentioned Isaiah earlier. You said Nick did talk about it. He has his quote here. At this point, I would say he is still a couple weeks away from being back. It's a pretty significant hamstring injury, taking a really long time. It's as bad as a hamstring injury that we've seen around here as far as holding somebody out for a significant amount of time. We won't rush him back. We'll make sure that he is good to go, and when he is ready to go, we'll put him out on the field. Now, as you said earlier, we talked about him touching the goalpost when he was talking to whatever. We thought he was really close, but we knew if he wasn't on the depth chart, he's not ready. Hoping that, you know, they were eyeing this game. We were eyeing this game for Avante. He played in week one and no Isaiah yet. It's unfortunate because we said, you know, he obviously is a difference maker. He's great after the catch. He can make plays in general. Him and Nick have a rapport. So it's kind of like, you know, having a guy – we have enough weapons to get by, it seems like. We mentioned Zach Gibson stepping up and Tice along with the Cox brothers and, you know, all of them. We, we need everybody to step up right now with no Bryce Miller maybe either. But, no, obviously Isaiah – we, we feel for him. They said one of the worst significant hamstring injuries they've seen in a long time, which we know he left, went in the portal and came back. He was looking to break out this year. And of course we're not going to see him until halfway through the year. No, but he would definitely, I think make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, just hearing what kind of injury he has one of the worst I've ever seen. Um, it's crazy. I don't know if the rehab has went sideways or something, because like I said earlier, week one, he was traveling with the team. I was like, well, maybe he might play, but all of a sudden now it's one of the worst they've ever seen. And he's still weeks away. So, um, yeah, we got to, obviously there's, there's been chances for other guys to step up, but some guys haven't made plays, but we know he'd make a difference. Um, having two top receivers we've seen in the last couple of years with, having Landon and Avanti out there at the same time. So um, once he gets back, this offense will look better. But, um, hey, it's more it's more playing time for other guys to step up. Hopefully, um, receiver-wise, we can get Bryce Miller back this week and he can, he can make some plays. Yeah, and it's different. I feel like if we were winning, like let's say we were 2-0, and it'd be like, yeah, we're definitely not rushing Isaiah back. But even like with losses, it's like we're kind of in a hole and we're going to be 0-3 after this game probably. And it's like, yeah, definitely don't rush it back. You know, we were we're not really in in terms of getting him back because we do have enough weapons to, you know, to pitch in that it's we don't need the rushing. But we're not in that kind of like urgent mode for him. Like as a team we are, but in terms of getting weapons back, we want him to be the stretch run for the conference season. So I we definitely understand holding him out. We just thought we he was closer than he was. So so, Noah, any other facts you have about this game? And after you do that, dive into what Nick was asked. And even Dan Verdun had an article about Nick and Pat Fitzgerald's relationship uh, that you heard on Nick's interview. But go ahead. Anything else you had on this game? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's going to be a tough game. Um, obviously, um, a Northwestern physical team. A lot of respect for him, like Nick Hill said. Nick Hill, um, Verdun had an article, but Nick Hill was asked Monday about Coach Fitzgerald, and he just said, yeah, he looks up to him, um, that apparently when, before Nick interviewed for the job, I guess Jerry Kill reached out to 
Pat Fitzgerald and had him uh, call Nick Hill. And uh, Pat just said, yeah, I was 30 years old when I got my my dream job at my alumni and just gave him really the courage and to go into that interview and uh, to help him get that job. And just a cool thing, a lot of respect for this guy. I mean, you talked about – we've talked about Pat Fitzgerald a lot. Um, surprised he hasn't got an NFL job. I'm sure people have co- tried tried calling, but um, he's happy where he's at, at his alumni. So uh, really cool story. If you haven't go read that article yet, go read it. Yeah, I don't think we retweeted. I think I just liked it, but you're right. He's, Nick said he's looked up to him from afar. He said he wouldn't even know if that show would remember doing it about him being hired. Randomly called me the night before yeah, his interview that long ago. He said he didn't know if, you know, Coach Kill, yeah, had reached out to him and got a random phone call from him, but uh, said he gave him some confidence going in the interview process because of that. As you said, he was 30 years old himself. And and that's really cool. And he, Nick said, it's, it's the phone call always meant a lot to me. And hopefully someday I can be the same type of resource to a coach like that. So we know Pepis Gerald is going to try to beat every team he is. Obviously you're going to, you know, if you know each other, no matter what, we know the relationship Nick and coach Duke had it. And, you know, obviously it doesn't matter when you get between the lines, but it's really cool knowing that you have a mentor like that on the other side, perhaps to help you, to help you out. Uh, so I thought that was really cool for this matchup alone going in. Uh, so now no, let's get into our – or quickly, there was a thing – or what we'll end with that. Let's let's dive into potential picks. Like I said, we don't have a spread. We're thinking both. It'll be around probably 20 or more points uh, without a doubt. So, uh, uh, we said over-under, what are you thinking maybe for an over-under? I'm just thinking of like a name to throw out. But we don't have to like predict that. We both have a feeling we're going to lose minus the points. Anything can happen. We'd like for it to happen. Not sure. I think we both can agree. The way we're playing, it couldn't, but we know we can come out and surprise people. But what would you say an over-under would be? Uh, last week, I'm just looking at their game against Duke. The over-under was 56 last week. Um, I'd say probably 56 is about right. I mean, they were 10-point 10, 10 favorites at home against Duke, and they lost by eight. So uh, we'll see what happens. I'd put it around, I'd say, 58 points and – yeah, I'd say they could the, get that themselves, to be honest. I'd say the spread needs to be about 20. Easy. And I'll take the minimum spread. of 20. I'll, I'll take the minus, whatever Northwestern is, and I'll take the over. I mean, I think, we'll right, be able, I think we'll be able to score some points, but like I said, I don't, I don't see much of happening unless something. I mean, the way they play, I mean, this could be a low scoring game and you'd be okay with the under and we can keep it close for a while, but like, like, like the numbers say, I mean, Take SIU plus points in the first half if you're able to bet on us on one of those illegal sites like Bavada. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's it's going to be rough, but we're going. I mean, if you look at uh, – we haven't bought tickets yet. I mean, they're going on they're going on SeatGeek for a dollar right now. You can go for a dollar if you want. So it's what people think of Northwestern football, and it's on 11 a.m. Big Ten Network. You're right, it is on Big Ten Network for people if they don't make the trip. It's because we know Kansas State opened their like home season against us last year, so there was going to be crazy atmosphere. Northwestern will have a really good crowd still. Uh, but, yeah, they did already had a home game. So it's only it's their second. You know, they like to tailgate and show up, and they'll go into the game. They're playing a team they've never heard of. Maybe because we're in the state of Illinois, people have heard of us up here in Chicago. We know Chicago is a big route for, like, students that go to SIU. So people are familiar. 
but they expect to beat us, uh, obviously. So, no other. Uh, we saw a stat weeks ago from some. Uh, is it opinionated or it's 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 obviously by facts? Top twenty best and worst college football stadium parking. This sticks out because in the worst stadium park, and this is for people that are going to the game, obviously, and you know don't know where to, like us, we don't know where to park. Worst stadium parking, though, a second on the list, Northwestern. That's above. Imagine parking in Ohio State, Iowa, Clemson, Alabama, somehow 20th on this, and Georgia in the middle of the pack. But no, Northwestern at two, that's not a good sign for us and people going. That's just ironic for people that are going to show up and probably watch a butt beat. And so that's funny and ironic that we saw that weeks back. Yeah, as soon as I saw that, I said, oh, boy. I mean, I looked at Ryan Field and see where it was located, just browsing where it was closest, how far it was from the university. Um yeah, depending on how big their crowd is, I mean, they have one giant parking lot, but other than that, I mean, it's not a lot. So um, if they had a big game in town, I could see where it could be listed as one of the worst. Right. I mean, it's a city stadium. It's not like it's on the outskirts, but uh, – You said yeah, it's off the off the river, right, where their practice facilities are? Yeah, the pra- yeah, they're it's right off the lake. lake. Yeah, it's right on the lake. Uh it's going to be a beautiful university driving through it. So can't wait. Yeah. And you're right. If it was, if they're hosting Ohio state, then you can imagine what the crowd's going to be like or something. But yeah, against us, it won't be as bad. There will be people there, but it shouldn't be as bad without a doubt. And we know the dog we've known forever. Just reminding people, I'm sure obviously students, you know, if they listen to our pod or not, or they know by now, if they're involved with the dog pound that they were going to travel and we saw on Twitter that Dylan Chambers and crew were already there. They traveled either late today or yesterday. So they're there ready to go. We saw the decals for the white helmets getting put on yesterday. Uh, what can we expect, Noah? Can we expect all whites? We know Northwestern is going to wear purple, and they're going to wear, like, silver pants, I think, with probably gray helmets. Uh, so you think it may be all whites for us? I hope. Yeah, I would expect the all whites to come out. I mean, not sure – Exactly, but yeah, I expect uh, Northwestern to come out with probably purple jerseys and maybe maybe white pants. I know they do have the alternate. I think they used to have the alternates in the – they had gray jerseys and they had black uniforms with purple pants. So um, I'd probably expect purple and white, but yeah. I hopefully, hopefully we can come out with the all-whites to give us some – Maybe some extra motivation to play better. I don't know. Yeah, with the icy look, you never know. And that's what we wore against Kansas State, who ironically has the same color scheme as Northwestern. So maybe that's why I'm thinking of Kansas State's got the silver, but I think Northwestern's got something along those lines. You mentioned the colors there. So, yeah, all white can bring some some hype to it. Who knows? So just thinking of that, no, okay, dogs of the game, you could go with the whole team. I don't know if we could pick anybody in particular. I mean, you mentioned line of scrimmage. That's easily the biggest part of this game. And if if we'll be able to score points or, you know, on their 500 per game defense or uh, getting able to get to, you know, have time to throw for Nick or obviously get to their quarterback to be able to maybe not cause him to throw for potentially 500 yards. So, no, who your offensive dog of the game? Yeah, obviously you said you could go the whole team. Obviously you could dog of the game. You could say Nick Hill. See if he's got yeah. his team going on the right track. But offensively, um, I mean, I'm going to go with Roe Elliott. I mean, 
he's been yep. the guy if he can get um through the small gaps and maybe create some big plays that we can stay in this ball game for a while. That's who I was going to go with because he is the only true bright spot right now. Even though if we if their defensive line is good enough to where we can't run the ball, then it won't be him. I'll go with Avante because he usually lives up to these moments. I don't recall actually what he did in Kansas State game. We recall the second half wasn't good, but he usually steps up and they usually hone in on him. So he's got a big target on his back this week. And it, we never do post dogs of the game because after losses, it's like, you know, there's really nothing to be proud of or even pick that. We mentioned guys that lead us at tackles or somebody, but. It seems like Rose won offensive player or dog of the week the last two weeks. So if, if we win, you can definitely count on dogs of the game if we win. So, uh, yeah, I'll go with Avante. So, Rowan Avante, what do you got for defense? Yeah, defense, it's going to be tough. Obviously, hopefully our corners can stay with some of their guys. But um, I'm going to go with Nick Okiki. I believe you went with him last week. He needs to be big. We need yeah. some pass rush. Agreed. and. You know, I want to I want to say the tandem here because we got to get that pass rush, and you know, you want to say I'll go with. I mean, yeah, edge rushers. I just think of Mikel because I just know he's been out there a lot. I could go with Richie. I'll go with some of the interior guys like Keenan Agnew, getting involved because he hasn't really been that involved. It's really been Cam Bowdery, our best defensive lineman so far this year, like interior guys. So I'll go with Keenan to bounce back and help out. You know, the Cam Bowderies of the world to get involved in this one, and then special teams. No, I mean. Pretty simple. I mean, we're going to be punting a lot. It could easily be Nathan Torney. He's got to flip the field. If you give them great field position, they will blow us out because they will get it at midfield or less because we'll probably get pinned a lot of the time and we'll have to count on him. You might have to go for it a lot because that's be like you have nothing to lose kind of deal. Easily could be Nathan, though, who you picking, though. Yeah, easily should be Nathan, but uh, I'll just go with Nathan Torney. He's got to be better. Uh put our defense in some good spots maybe I mean we forgot to mention this earlier when we talked about this football team this team hasn't created a turnover all year and that's been a problem and that's been one of the main parts of this team the last couple of years we we could get to the quarterback with our edge rushers we had Quay Brown and Bryce Notre love to punch the ball out we caused turnovers and we could get some picks with our DBs but yet to do it but yeah, I'm gonna go with Nathan Torney um, I'd say Dre Newman if he was healthy because we've seen him cause fumbles on those punts. So uh, I'll go with Nathan to put a better boot on the ball this week. Right, and even Jake, you know, being able to kick if we get – but, like, it, we're going to be in four-down territory in these games, depending how it goes. If we're getting blown out, then it is what it is. But, you know, we're not really going to, you know, be conservative at all. You know, you need, if you're fourth and short, you're going to go for it, hopefully if you're in their territory. So – Jake might not get a whole opportunity in this game to do anything because, you know, Thomas Burks. We mentioned how last year, Noah Nico was so good at kicking out of the end. Like, if we played Kansas State, Deuce Vaughn back there, it was so pivotal to be able to kick it to the back, and that's what Nico did. I think there was some that he didn't maybe. We know the wind was crazy that night. It, you know, made him miss a field goal in that game that could have been pivotal. So, Thomas Burks is important in this one. And you mentioned Quay and them. You're right, because that just makes me think back to Petrino, what he said, that the difference between this year and last year, you had guys – it's like Quay and Bryce, and he mentioned Anthony and Jordan, who we did earlier as well. Those are guys you can rely on to be steady in games like this and in the season in general. We've had a lot of – it's exciting having new players like we have this year to come in and be impactful. But, you know, those new faces and new everything. Mike even said, you know, has it been your staff and stuff? It's just – he just said putting them in positions to be successful. But, 
you're right. We, we don't have those kind of guys to break out, but we recall, you mentioned there that they don't do a whole lot of something. They don't, we don't turn it over. Didn't, wasn't it last year that Deuce Vaughn like never fumbled in his college career until we, uh, you know, Jordan knocked it out last week and speaking of guys like that or last year and did it. And then, you know, they tried to turn it over or anything. We were able to do that. So I'm saying that we could easily do that in this game and shock people in terms of getting a lot of firsts for everybody involved in this game. So, I agree. It's got to be Nathan Torney, though. I don't think Jake's going to be too involved. It could be Burks, so get it out of the back of the end zone. I don't think there's a whole lot more to pick here, no. We, we both think we're going to lose this game, and it could be the minus the 20 points. It just depends how it is at the line of scrimmage. That's the biggest part of the game. That's the biggest part of any football game, arguably, Noah. So your final thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's one. I mean, last year, going into Kansas State, we thought we had the team we could play with them. Um, we knew they were a really good football team, but we thought we could – hang with them for a little bit. Um, but this year, just no momentum going into it, just feeling like we're we're hopeless at this point. But, I mean, if you get this win, I mean, this changes the season, the way the season could go in a lot of ways. It could be up from here, and you could ride this win, end of conference play, and go on a win streak. But I just don't see it happening. I know some Saluki fans – uh, after the loss last week, they canceled their plans to go up there because they don't want to see what's probably going to happen tomorrow night. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. You know, it's the way in sports people are going to like, you know, be fair weather, I guess, in that regard. And it's not like you're losing money on tickets. You know, we know we got a hotel. It's it's pretty expensive up there to stay around. But nonetheless, it's it's a fun trip and it's in state. I don't know. And, you know, it's right up the interstate. It, it would make sense. But I, I mean, I'm not going to say I, I understand for those people because it's unfortunate we have fans like that, but that's just the way it is. And, uh, yeah, I know. I think – I just think about, like, how this game could go for us because I think of, like, what South Dakota State had to do with that Iowa uh, atmosphere that we don't have any you – know, like, we don't have that to probably happen in this game. We don't – they might have a good atmosphere, but nothing, like, too crazy for us. And, I mean, we had that game against Kansas State because we killed SEMO to kick off the year. You're right. We're kind of down on the dumps where – dug a hole the first two games we have no confidence that's why it seems like it's hopeless going into the game going into this game as you said unlike last year so it is about where you stand as a team now but hopefully they they know that this is a you know go in and see what you got you you got nothing to lose kind of deal because you're right momentum and winning this game and in general playing with them knocking off a big 10 school that i'm not going to say is 100 beatable and there's probably an ounce of that but they're still good as we know been down the last couple years but you're right. Confidence going into, like I said earlier, two winnable conference games right off the bat after this game. So uh, it's definitely huge. It is, we're, we're excited to go. I mean, it's it's always fun to go on road trips, watch, watch SIU. We've been doing it for years, and it's, it never changes. We would never cancel plans, even though after these losses, we're like, yeah, but we're obviously still going to go. So looking forward to it. Hopefully other people make the trip as well. Cheap tickets. We know SIU alumni might have a tailgate and stuff. So every, 11 o'clock kickoff, uh, which is surprising, but for us there, for people that want to watch on the Big Ten Network, it's going to be a test, but we're looking forward to it. We will have a pod uh, early next week. We always say that, like I said, you never know the day, but it'll be sometime next week to recap this game and a look ahead towards the start of conference play. So looking forward to the trip starting tomorrow for Nick Malone. No alerts. As always, go dogs.